So what are you scared of, Ren? You know, I've given it some thought. Right. And at the end of the day, I really, like, I just have this strong fear of brown recluse spiders. It's like a really specific thing. Recluse spiders? Brown recluse spiders, yeah. So just like little things that just like... Yeah, they're like a common thing in Texas and they just, they're like this, like less than the size of a quarter. They'll hide in your shoes and gloves if you haven't worn them in a long time. And they bite you and you don't feel it. You don't feel it at first. Like with a black widow, you feel it, right? Because it's a very painful bite. With a brown recluse, you don't feel it. And so that can just, it can just bite you and you're like, man, that was, I, why is there this little white dot on my hand? This is so weird. And then suddenly your hand is rotting off. The whole thing is rotting off. It only takes like nine days to start necrosis. Like your whole skin tissue just rotting right off. Wait, hold on. Something like that actually exists? Yes. And they're common. Like they're not an uncommon thing. Oh I live in God. fear of these bad boys. And like, you know, it's a rash, it's a rational fear. It is, it is. It is, but you know, I've never seen a brown recluse spider. I've lived in Texas my whole life. Are they, but are they that common? Yeah, like we have a ton of them. Central Texas, especially so. And like West Texas, where I originated. (laughs) My origins were just chock full of these little guys. Brown recluse spiders. I mean- I mean, nope. I mean, now I have a new fear yeah, to sorry. take on. <laughs> I didn't mean to gift you a new one. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, I said that I was not scared of a lot, but it's the small things. Yeah, you, you know, like many people when they say, "Oh, what's what's your fear?" They say yeah. like, "Oh, the dark or oh, heights, yeah, 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 or you know, big general stuff like that." But stuff like that. The specifics, yeah, that is scary. Like small stuff, especially if you think about just something you don't know about slowly corrupting you mm-hmm. from like the inside out and so on. Like even even if you get more base than a brown recluse spider, more like cancer or something, it's yeah. a slow movie or like a tumor you don't know about, right? It's just a slow moving thing that's destroying you from the inside and you don't even know about it. You don't even know. That's the scariest part, I think. I mean the unknown yeah as y'all can tell we're talking about one thing today and that is fear the ooky spookies I'm Aria and I'm Ren and welcome to the unfinished mind this week we're going to be talking about fear what are we scared of why are we scared of it how does it work how do our brains approach fear all that all that juicy gossip Juicy goss for sure. Yeah. Just, you know, what's what's going on inside of your unfinished mind when you're afraid of something? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess humans, I, I feel like the reason, and this is not just what I believe, there is science to back it up or mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, scientific theories. But many people believe that fear is a mechanism for survival. And if it's a mechanism for survival, it's adaptive. It allows us to adapt. Right. So obviously fear has been a tool for survival since the beginning of mankind. And in the beginning, it helped us avoid and escape things like predators. You know, we're not going to go make buddy buddy with a lion. Yeah. It's healthy to be afraid of the lion. It's healthy. Yeah. It's good to be afraid of the lion. Yeah. Yeah. 
In the jungle, the mighty jungle. The lion will kill you tonight if you are not scared. going to eat your bones. Yeah, the lion is after your sweet meat. Not everyone is like Simba, is all we're trying <laughs> to say. Anyways, fear is both preventative, like fear of the dark, because predators might be hiding in it, mm-hmm. and counteracting. So seeing a predator and the subsequent release of adrenaline and increased heart rate helps us escape. Shout out epinephrine and it's good, yeah. good, it's good, good, sympathetic. It's doing great. Nervous system responses. Yep. So in the modern day, obviously, we don't often have to run from predators. Mm-hmm. In the modern world, fear has evolved for our modern problems. For example, we fear walking alone at night because we might be mugged. While fear is a powerful tool for survival, it can also be a hindrance. We can be conditioned to fear things that haven't happened yet and anticipate the worst. So, for example, many people have a fear of flying, although the odds of a crash are very low. Our fight or flight can be triggered by social situations where neither option is appropriate. And so in these situations, the release of adrenaline and other excitatory hormones actually impair our ability to handle the problem. Yeah. And, you know, that's a modern explanation for anxiety as well. Yeah. When our, when our fear response starts going a little haywire to minor inconveniences and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes just nothing, sometimes just out of the blue, out of nowhere, your anxiety can flare up yep. for people who suffer with it. So that is an interesting uh, consideration. Like it's how evolution sort of turned on us in our modern age, because there's so much to be worried about all the time. I hate to bring it up. But COVID, yeah. there's a lot of minor yeah. things that you need to worry about that you may not have had to worry about in the past. Like how mm-hmm. often are you washing your hands? Are you ca- carrying hand sanitizer with you? Do you have a mask with you? All those tiny things can cause us to act. And did you stand too close to the person in front of you? In, in front of you at the line. line. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a real concern. Am I standing too close? Have I washed my head? Did I remember to put hand sanitizer on before I touched this thing? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh God. When was the last time I washed my, my fabric mask that I wear, you know, just tons of questions, tons of fear causers. And speaking of fear causers, let's dive into that, you know, anxiety response, the fear response um, from a neuroscientific standpoint, Mm -hmm. as well as a psychological one. So fear is a learned response. We learn about fear through direct experience with a threat. But how does someone develop fear for something they've never experienced? Like, Arya, have you ever been attacked by a shark? Nope. But are you afraid of shark attacks maybe? Like, yeah. Yeah, I bet After so. watching Jaws. And Sharknado, am I right? <laughs> Sharknado. Some spooky Yo. flicks. Yep. <laughs> it's very dangerous, very life-threatening situations. So... Fear is learned via social means, such as verbal warnings or observing others. Elizabeth Phelps is a researcher, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at NYU, who has shown the expression of socially learned fears actually shares the same neural mechanisms with fears that have been acquired through direct experience. So basically, that means that we fear things that we've actually experienced in the same way we fear things we've never experienced. The amygdala is heavily involved with the fear response. 
the amygdala governs our fear responses and our emotional responses in the brain. It's a specific part of the brain um, that is designed to do that. So the idea that the amygdala is heavily involved with fear is known as the amygdala-centered model. And it basically proposes that the amygdala is an important part of our neural systems that are implicated when we're having social and emotional behavior, language, and explicit memory, things that are triggering our emotions um, whether they be an actual experienced thing or a conversation that we had with a friend. Now, fear can also become extinct uh, in our brains. So a greater understanding of brain mechanisms regarding fear and anxiety is attracting interest in the research community right now. So when we fear something in our brains, it actually produces a very strong neural response. Our, our synapses will be firing at an increased rate because of being exposed to that initial fear event. However, if this event was something we actually experienced, we can sometimes see fear of a particular event go extinct over time. This extinction of fear potentiation is observed through the process of classical conditioning. So if we train a rat to be afraid of a certain environment because they once experienced a violent electric shock in that environment, what we will notice is that the, the rat will continue to be afraid of the environment every time we put that rat there, right? However, over time, the more that the rat is put in this environment and there is no associated shock, we see that that fear response actually goes away. And over time, when there's no shock associated with the environment, the rat will stop being afraid of the environment, even though it once experienced a shock there. So this extinction behavior is something that we see not just in classical fear conditioning, but also in, uh, you know, in memories and in other things like this. We've also seen extensive empirical work done by behavioral psychologists that have revealed basic behavioral characteristics of extinction um, called inhibitory learning. This is not exactly an erasure of the acquired fear, but it's just that over time, the rat in this example has learned that the environment is no longer a threat and it is now inhibited, it is learned and now that inhibits the former fear response so that it no longer is afraid when it's in this environment. Now, when we learn something, for it to become memory, the, the event must be imprinted in our brain, which is a phenomenon known as memory consolidation. This involves the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the cerebral cortex, and it happens over a period of time. Now, Elizabeth Phelps, the psychologist I mentioned earlier, actually reports using the reconsolidation window as a way to erase fearful memories in humans. What we find is that if we, when a person is remembering something, say with like PTSD, if we have them triggered by something, they're, they're thrown back into their former memories and they're recalling it in vivid detail. What we can learn is that by stimulating certain parts of the brain without drugs, so by giving them perhaps protein synthase inhibitors, we can actually find that the memories that they're experiencing will decrease over time. So if we trigger this person's old memories and then inhibit the reconsolidation of those memories, we'll see the memory fade and the fear dissipate, the same as the rat in the initial experiment I, discuss, I discussed. 
So these techniques are pretty new. Um, and of course, they don't erase the initial fearful memory that these individuals have experienced, but instead they leave participants with two memories, one scary and one that's not as scary, one in a less threatening place. And when these memories are recalled, we actually see that the fear response goes down significantly. So that is kind of the basic neuroscience behind why our fear memories exist and how we can get rid of them over time. See, but sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work, right? Sometimes that fear response stays for a long time. So it's, it's really exciting the work that Elizabeth Phelps is doing, um, coming up with ways to actually reduce the fear response and make it, and make it less drastic at every time we remember it. So that's super exciting stuff. And if you were curious, the neurotransmitter responsible for almost all of these responses is serotonin. Our good friend, she Love does her. a lot of good work. That's serotonin. Yep. Uh, yes. I guess this research is actually very helpful for those who suffer with anxiety disorders. Absolutely. I think it's a very, I think it's a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I would love to see more research about that. Oh yeah, that that protein synthesis inhibition is is really effective. It's like, you know, it's still in experimental phases, mm -hmm. um, but it is it is it is a really effective way to sort of somewhat erase a person's bad memories or bad associations. Yeah. In the case of anxiety, you know, just kind it's of reduce that uh, residual fear that may. That may I just be can't like believe that. that it goes to such a molecular basis mm -hmm. i guess oh yeah, yeah. it's amazing because in the way in which society runs or like how we consider fear it seems to be a purely psychological purely like thought based thing mm -hmm. but there's a lot of science and hormones and yeah. proteins and all of that involved it's really cool well you know every thought is it's not uh, it's not just an extant thing. It's something happening because of the transfer of chemicals within your brain. Every thought so, is a zap and a chemical. Every thought is a zap and a chemical. Or perhaps uh, a special combinations of zaps and chemicals. Exactly. Uh, yep. Got a lot. That is neuroscience. That's neuroscience for in, you. <laughs> in a little statement. Yes, Every yes. thought is a series of zaps and chemicals. Zaps and chemicals. But, you know... We have zaps and chemicals going on. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we love horror movies as well. And, you know, that's probably got something to do with that serotonergic response. There's a lot of neuroscience in why we love horror movies. Yeah, absolutely. And why we're so entertained by them. Let's dive into it. So there's a lot of examples of entertainment that are centered on fear. Uh, for example, there's a lot of industries that use fear, like roller coasters. Mm. They date back to the 17th century, where hills of ice in Russia were the early roller coasters. Oh, wow. And now there's tons of amusement parks like Six Flags, mm -hmm. Fiesta, Texas. Love that place. That good adrenaline rush from I those. still want to ride the Wonder Woman ride, and I still have not been able to. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, I haven't, I don't think I've been. I've no. been to Six Flags, Fiesta, Texas. I have to say it like that because it's a weird name. I know. Uh, I've been there like twice. I haven't, I haven't been a whole bunch. We need to go. Yeah. I guess we need yeah. to ride the Wonder Woman ride. Yes. She was so wonderful about Wonder Woman. <laughs> She's great, actually. Anyway, so. You know, it was written by a polyamorous man and his two wives. I love it. Three heads are better than two. 
<laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Anyways, that was That's highly time for another episode. <laughs> yep. Anyways, and we had this past weekend be Halloween. about Halloween. Anyway, lots of haunted houses. Mm-hmm. Lots mm-hmm. of haunted mm-hmm. houses. Yes, didn't I, yes. I personally didn't get to go to one, but I don't know about you. I really wanted to, but I had to go to the most terrifying haunted house oh. available instead of a recreational one, and that is you actually went to like a real haunt, like a I, real, I went like, to, proper. Uh, yeah, you know, I did. I had a I had three exams that week, so I really you needed that to get was the my haunted out. house. No, that was my haunted house. Oh, going the- to the university, the Painter Hall of UT Tech. <laughs> Austin and just kind of <laughs> reducing there and 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 experiencing the most terrifying uh sort of things I could well imagine. yeah I mean the University of Texas like you said that is that serves as your haunted house mm-hmm. is still young compared to the first haunted house or the first idea of a haunted house the idea oh. of haunted houses dates back to 1802 where marie tussaud displayed wax figures of decapitated french figures who were guillotined tussaud later named this exhibition the chamber of horrors what a girl boss I know. And she's still Madame Tussauds. Madame Tussauds. Still going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the first ghost house, in quotes, ooh, ghost house, sorry, ooh. was made in 1915. And it was one of the first horror attractions that made profits. The first Halloween themed haunted houses were set up during the Great Depression. But haunted houses didn't become a big thing until Disneyland's haunted mansion was built interesting that seems sus okay that is interesting though because you know like during the great depression i really wouldn't have thought (laughs) that people would be jonesing for a spook you know yeah yeah i guess it's like what they had going on like oh man we're we don't have any food but what can we send the kids to go do Maybe get terrified by Mr. Jones across the street. I think that could be fun. But I mean, I'm just not sure. I guess it was a way to distract them from how more scary, pressing things. How scary life is, perhaps. Yeah. You I know guess, what? Yeah. All right. You know what? I can get jiggy with that. Yeah. I think they had to get jiggy with the fact that they were going to haunted houses during the Great Depression because I guess different struggles did. did Different struggles distract you from other stuff in your life. Yeah. Like the fact that, you know, I'm struggling to wash my comforter right now because it will barely fit in the washing machine. Mm-hmm. It distracts me from the fact that I have assignments next week that are too. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it is not at all comparable to the Great Depression. Not saying that at all. <laughs> it's a a different kind different kind of great depression but i guess it's the same concept you you use you use fear depression as opposed to the great depression yeah but yeah using using fear to evade the things that you cannot escape the fear the fear causing things you can't escape the great depression you're worrying about 
the state of the world and the state of everything. And you're just sort of terrified to be a person, you know, Mm -hmm. at that time, which sounds familiar, but, um, you know, for some reason, just, just having a good Michael Myers style spook really fixes that for us. It does it. It really just, it really just takes us away from, from life's real concerns and helps us out with that. I mean, now today, the way that people kind of get rid of their, their little spooks of life are through horror films, novels, and video games. Absolutely. Hollywood's horror films contributed to the boom of haunted houses. For video games, the survival horror subgenre became popular in which the game is centered on the player's survival amongst frightening game features. Mm -hmm. So examples are Resident Evil, and I know Ren has wanted to talk about this one, Slenderman. I did want to talk about Slenderman. Now listen, <laughs> I didn't play Slenderman. I didn't mm-hmm. play this game, you know. But I, I came about Slenderman on the internet as as a person on the internet in the 2010s, early 2010s. What right? a time in the internet. A wild time. But, you know, Slenderman, Slenderman is a particularly unique example, I think, because a lot of like younger people were sort of latching on to this idea of the Slenderman yeah. and just making it like their personal demon, right? Mm-hmm. There's their personal, very scary thing. I just think that was an interesting phenomenon that happened in the early 2010s Definitely. and a whole like branch of lore on the internet came out from Slenderman that was like creepypasta and like people writing short stories of scary urban legends that they've heard or that they came up with. It was just a really interesting like era of time um, when that was going around. And now the, we certainly still have those legends, but it's not the same like Slenderman variety. Now, I, I think maybe a recent one was like Momo. People remember Momo. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. a creepy image. Yeah, so Extremely. it's the same thing. It's the same thing as Slenderman, just like Photoshop in a really creepy way. And then people make an urban legend out of that. And, and I think it's and fascinating. The thing is like these internet horror images and kind of characters and things manifest in like real life crimes too like mm. slender man where those two girls went into the like lured one of their friends into the woods yes. and like stabbed them because stabbed that girl because they said that slender man made them do it they wanted to join slender man's cult incredible so this, this was something it was a whole subsection of the internet dedicated to slender man and being like a loyal follower of slender man right i guess and those people just, wanted to do that um fear it's just does so much yeah and for some people it's a comfort like for those girls it was a comfort to be to to live in that fearful thing and to to regenerate the fear for themselves and of course obviously it was it was terrible the thing that they did yeah absolutely terrible but for a lot of people like even me i i seek i want i listen to a lot of like true crime and a lot of fake horror um like anthologies like i've listened to a few horror podcasts or even just like horror books stephen king joe hill you know the good the good horror family right it's something that like a lot of people really seek out and i am absolutely one of those people i don't know if you are i know you were saying you don't watch a lot of horror movies Mm. but like i've been around that block (laughs) i guess i guess fear in that way is also so i wouldn't say tempting Mm -hmm. but very attractive because 
it offers a community that you know will agree with you. True. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. everybody has a similar fear of certain things, the unknown mm-hmm. on the and usually that manifests on the internet as certain characters. So that obsession with that character and subsequent following and using that as entertainment, even though you are scared of it, it produces a community and people are always seeking community. Absolutely. So that's just one way that it happens too. Yeah. They engage with those experiences and they're like, this is cool. It's not a real threat. It's an, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a sort of comfortable, very interesting thing that I'm a fan of. And that's pretty cool. And the science, the arousal slash activation of the sympathetic nervous system, the mm-hmm. part of our nervous system that makes us go whoop, adrenaline rush, adrenaline ah. rush, is also from fear and is instead interpreted as enjoyable. People like that rush. Yeah, you hear adrenaline like drunk it. junkies, people yep. who, you know, skydiving. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, bungee I could jumping. Never. I could never. A lot. There's Gosh. a lot of ways that people do their thing yeah. to activate their sns and get to it absolutely yep and you know those those responses are like very similar to the responses we have in like a fun situations like yeah. if you skydive that reaction is going to be really similar to like walking through a haunted house and mm-hmm. having a weird actor dressed as a scary clown jump out of the dark and go oh ah, ha, ha, oh you know it's a very similar response and it, yeah, that can be interpreted as very enjoyable especially if you have good associations with it yeah so it's I mean, interesting stuff yeah yeah i guess we're still calming down from that halloween spirit calming down I mean, <laughs> I'm calming down. Ren constantly lives Some in of it. us live with a permanent state of sort of spooky-ooky. I think and others of us are a little more chill. I'm going to tell on you, Ren. I'm going to tell on you to our audience. They yelled at me for saying that it was Michael Buble and Mariah Carey season and it's November and they're still not ready to let Halloween go. Yeah, I'm really sad about it. This is, I'm <laughs> mourning because this is now like my least favorite part of the holiday season. It's right after Halloween. It's right after. It just makes me so mad. Everyone's immediately like, time to strap on our jingle bells and go to t- <laughs> town. And I'm like, I'm uh, I'm trying to, to dance with my pumpkins <laughs> and summon my ghosts. Why are we doing this right now, Linda? <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> It's all right. Anyways. I'll get over it. But I, I am a little, you know, the spooky season. It, it keeps me it keeps me going. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. So weirdos out there. Yep. I hope y'all remain spooky. And if you don't want to get scared, I hope you never get scared. Just a lot of hope, right? Yeah, so it's all we have, Aria. Yeah. Hope. yeah. And the knowledge that no matter how scary things get, it'll always be over eventually. <laughs> Why do you say that in there in that tone? I mean, it's just true. It's, <laughs> it's you know, just trying to put a positive spin on it. Right. So that was this week's episode over fear. Yes, Why yes. are we scared? Our brains are weird. And, and we just like it. 
we like it we are we're we're freaky little weirdos us human beings and we like to be afraid yep and that's why we do the things we do absolutely all right well thank you for listening to this week's episode next week join us for some very interesting topics i i don't want to give away too many spoilers absolutely i think we must keep our secrets and we hope that you will not fear (laughs) but next week's topic thank you thank you very much goodbye the unfinished mind is brought to you by the polymathic scholars our scriptwriters this week were akshi bunth ariane austria Liz Kinnerk and Ria Gogia. Sound designed by Jensen Richardson and Amaris Mendoza. Produced by Natalie Lim and Sai Chiruvu. Our publicist is Claire Nevins. Hosted by Arya Bakre and Ren Smith. Thanks for listening and remember to follow your curiosity.